0: A sleeper hole! It's, it's Chaz's Chaz's version, king of the sleeper! Yeah, well his version is a chunk hold. He's got his hand right across his cheeks! Jim Mountain Far the way.
1: Jim, do you remember the first time you visited Canada and what that was like?
0: I don't remember, like we used to go for field trips and stuff, so I don't remember that but I remember the first time going as a teenager. Wait, 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 wait. hold
1: on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Your fucking school took you as a field trip on an international, tra- like a destination travel like deal? What was that all yeah. about?
0: Yeah, like what? we used to, yeah, yeah, like they used to take the bus and go to like the falls and stuff. Like I specifically remember, like not all the time, but I remember at least once doing that, yeah. Because uh, it's I like see. right there. Right. It's like right there. It's so not the, a it's not a thing.
1: The travel would be just across the side of the falls to come to the correct or the more beautiful side and then go back. It wasn't like <laughs> Yeah <laughs> It wasn't like they're taking you out to Calgary or anything like that. Right? Uh,
0: no no we not no, no. going to the rodeo or anything. <laughs>
1: okay, okay, okay. All right. So you visited the falls a bunch of times, but then the first time you came was uh, on your own, was as a teenager?
0: Yeah. Like this is the dumb story. And like, people are going to be like, why would you do this? But like, again, we had no internet and I had a friend that like was super into like Kung Fu and karate and stuff. And like, he would go to Chinatown, Toronto and get ginseng. Like he would go to this very specific store Mm -hmm. and go buy ginseng. So we all went up once and like, we pretty much just hung out in Chinatown the whole time. So like I didn't even get to like experience Toronto, Toronto till much later.
1: So the rest of the world has no idea what you're talking about, but Chinatown in Toronto is just like China, I guess. Like now that I've been in Asia for a long time, it's very, very, very different from the rest of Toronto. And you don't get a feel for what Toronto is like at all. Not at all. Yeah, agreed. Agreed, agreed. So you, okay, so you went to Chinatown and then you came back. And then when was the next time you ended up going?
0: I want to say we went to like, like it was probably like a year later and went to like, the Eaton Center and, like, yeah. all that. I, I want to, you know, just, like, general stuff like that. I think my friend might have invited me up for a Leafs game. Like, like he sold, I don't know, like, 10 pints of blood or whatever and was able to buy mm-hmm. Leaf tickets because they're so fucking expensive. Oh, my God. They're crazy. And, they're fucking and, uh, crazy. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, like, I hung out in Toronto for the day and then went to, like, a Leafs game.
1: I see. Do you remember who they played?
0: They played – I don't – I. I want to say they played Calgary because it was because Calgary sucked at the time. So it had sure. to be like something that was a ticket that he could even get.
1: Those were the days of the old paper tickets where it had like the red yeah. line or the blue line across the ticket. So you knew like where you were sitting, like if you were in the reds or the golds or the blues or the greens or the grays. Like I remember very well. And the gardens was really special. I have lots of memories of the gardens. What did you think of the gardens?
0: I thought it was cool. I thought it was loud, like compared to like going to like a Sabres game, like it's <laughs> not even the same thing. Like it was so loud. Like the crowd is just all about it.
1: It's on a totally different level. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. So that was Canada was your first international trip, if I'm not mistaken. Is oh, yeah, right? for sure. Okay. And then where else have you gone internationally?
0: internationally i have gone to sweden i've gone to france i've gone to england um i think those like just like a european leg i think is i've well, the, but the bahamas but like that was that was just like a like a ship cruise like it wasn't so like we, we didn't stay very long
1: so you took the ship from florida over to the bahamas and back yeah I see it. And that was, when
0: was that? That was probably, was before I had my kids. So it's got to be like 22 years ago. I just had my stepdaughter.
1: So I remember also going to the Bahamas very well. A couple of things hit me pretty hard. I never experienced what... I guess it's called conch or conch or conch. I don't know what the hell that shit is. <laughs> like that was a big part of their diet. I'm not sure if you... Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So like, and I'm not big on seafood. That, that struck me. And then the attitude and like, I have a lot of memories about Bahamas. I'll talk about too. But is there anything that stuck with you? Like, oh, this is unique or that's unique or...
0: Um, I thought like the hotel was extravagant. Like we didn't stay at the ho- extravagant hotel, but like you were able to like go to like walk around it and I distinctively remember like part of it was built like underground so you could see all the coral and the fish yeah and like it was like insane to just be able to walk through that
1: I remember that very well I stayed in that hotel (laughs) no shit (laughs) (laughs) as a teenager but okay well we'll get to that we'll get to that in a second okay and then what were your thoughts on Europe
0: um I love Sweden. Like Mm -hmm. Sweden is so clean and everybody like is fairly polite. Like the subways are insanely clean and like everything like it's a little expensive, sure, but just like, and the thing I didn't realize about going to Europe was that like, most things close at six, right? Like they believe in like a work-life balance. Yes. So like my wife wanted to go out shopping when we were in Paris and like everything but the restaurants were closed. Yeah. So like we had to adjust our schedule the next day to make sure she could go in like a couple shops. And like, I thought that was really interesting coming from America where like Walmart is open 24 hours and like, You can just, you can always like go somewhere. Like, they're like, no, the shopping time is over. Like, go enjoy yourself.
1: I loved when Canada didn't have shopping on Sundays. And so all shopping everywhere was closed with the exception of like emergency services and tourist locations. Like, there was like a rule because Sunday is a holy day. And then some fucking jack off politician said no why does everybody have to follow the christian way we should allow everybody to be open we don't have to take a day off on sunday why isn't it friday why isn't it thursday and so then as a result they just opened everything and then everything came open and now you don't have that time where everybody's off together and i agree that's a kind of today that's basically a european thing or an asian thing where like certain time is dedicated to be like off so everybody can have it together either with their family or friends or whatever. Yeah. It's charming. Like the charming is not their word but like it it makes you feel like wow, everybody cares, you know? What I mean like they care about each other. They get along well. There's like some kind of strength in the community here. But in the states you don't get that whatsoever. No, not at all. Not at all. And was there any time you experienced like huge culture shock? You're like, "Whoa, like this totally blew my mind, blew my mind. I didn't expect." Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, like when I when I went before Uh, Notre Dame was on fire okay so so like there were like lots of like I don't know threats in France for whatever like I don't know the geopolitical details but like armed police like armed like semi-automatic weapon armed police were like all over the place like in that area of France Oh. And like, and like that I had never experienced. And I was like, and my wife was like, kind of like freaked out. And I'm like, well, just act normal. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to go to the cafe and get a coffee. And then we're going to walk directly to Notre Dame. And we're going to pretend that these people aren't here. But it was like dozens. Like it wasn't a couple people.
1: Ah, oh, but you felt. That you are at risk because of that, or n-
0: my t- wife was nervous because my wife is just generally nervous around police. I, see. I was I was fine mm-hmm. because like I had been around guns my whole life with my dad being a collector. Sure. But like the to see that like in the streets, like where something's going to get handled immediately if something goes down, mm-hmm. was kind of shocking.
1: It's it's funny that your wife got nervous here when there're like a bunch of police out in like in force you feel extra safe because nobody's going to do anything stupid because you know like you're protected it's not a it's unlike the american police where they're out and ready to attack the public and you see like those things those riots in yeah the middle of the states. we don't it's n- it's not like that here not like that in the rest of the world so when you see a group of police it's almost a sign that you can be rest assured nothing's going to happen around you because most of us are law-abiding, right? And so yes. if you're law-abiding, they're not, they're not going to go after you. But it's funny your wife reacted that way.
0: Yeah. And my wife is like the most straight-laced like person I know. So like, I think you're right that it's just the cultural difference of how the police are perceived.
1: Yeah, I've never seen a group of police people out in force in the United States and not been afraid. All right. Okay. So I have lots of memories of being abroad. And unlike you, I didn't ever have school trips that crossed the border. Like we never, to the best You of my were too far
0: with Toronto though.
1: Yeah. We were about an hour and a half away. We had Niagara Falls trips and we went to the falls, but we never crossed.
0: Well, why would you go side? to the US side? It's trash. <laughs> yeah, it's awful.
1: But uh, my dad was an avid cheapskate. And so, when the military road outlet mall opened, or when he became aware of it, we were there very, very often. And he'd like take us with shitty clothes, and we'd go across the border, and then we'd buy stuff. And then he's like, "All right, take your go to the bathroom, take your shitty clothes off, put on the new clothes. (laughs) We'll throw away (laughs) the receipts, and then that way we can come back across the border. And then even if they stop us, they can't say that we've spent because the Canadian government's famous for taxing Canadian citizens for." doing day shopping if it's over a certain amount so my dad would yes. just throw in the receipts and do all that stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so there's no way so like uh, th- that happened a bunch of times and then uh like when i crossed the border there was a lot of shock for me the first shock is when you cross the border from canada especially coming off of the qew and heading into yeah, i want to say off the 405 so i don't remember what city that comes into lewiston maybe yeah lewiston probably right when you get into that city it's like fucking night and day it goes from like nice serene homes that are widely spaced apart to like homes made of aluminum that are nearby (laughs) each other that look like they should not be able to handle a single win- winter snowfall. Like it just goes from night to day real fucking fast. And so I was like, why is America so poor and so cheap? Like, I, I <laughs> you know, it never dawned on me. It's true. It never dawned on me that, hey, I'm living in kind of a nice place in Canada and I'm entering a shitty place in the US because it's, you're just driving across, like it's the same road almost. You just drive across a line. Yeah. And then suddenly you're hit with like abject poverty. And that was quite amazing. And then the level of risk or fear or danger was obvious. Like, it's obviously different. You have to kind of be on guard. And so that was my first impression of the States, like, be a little bit more careful than you are in Canada.
0: That's a good lesson.
1: Yeah. And the fact that guns are kind of freely available is a shock for most Canadians when we enter the United States. We don't anticipate seeing that or you know, being aware of it because it's not a part of our daily lives. And when you go across and occasionally you see a guy with a gun, you're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's really, really weird for us. And so that was an eye-opening thing. And then, uh, of course, you know, visiting Buffalo and getting to know Buffalo more and more, it just like the depths of depravity are just too hard to explain to all of our podcast listeners, but it was pretty bad. And uh, I it just was like night and day. And so I... Would say that my feelings or opinion of the United States. Are based on all those trips. It must have been like, I don't know, four or 500 trips across the border in four or five years. And you know what? At that time, there's no like IT technology. They're not tracing who's coming across the border. They're not catching licenses. Today, they'd be like, why are you smuggling these drugs? You know what I mean? Like, they would be like, why are you coming (laughs) every week? And so, but like, I was there quite often, quite regularly. And then uh, I just, it opened my eyes to like how different the actual America is from the America you see on TV. And, oh yeah oh my god it's like night and day and then uh, we've already mentioned that I, I went to the bahamas and i went to the bahamas as a kid i was like 17 16 17 years old and i it was an eye-opening experience because i wanted to see what life was like really in bahamas i don't know why i was i should have just done the tourist stuff and we had all. little tourist stuff planned and I went like snorkeling and I had like misadventure snorkeling and then we were in the casino went in the casino we played and gambled and did some shopping and had some dinner did, we did all this kind of stuff and then one day I was like no I want to know what these people really live like so I said to the hotel guy I said like hey how do I go into the city and he looks at me goes you don't want to go in the city <laughs> and I go no no I want to <laughs> go in the city I want to know what it's like he goes why you're in the lap of luxury why do you want to go in the city And I was like, I just want to see what people from the Bahamas live like. And he's like, you don't want to see that. And I was like, (laughs) persistent. No, 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 no. He's like, all right, you got to take the bus. So the bus itself is a fucking ordeal. It's just a guy in a van. He's just a guy in a van. He drives up to each hotel and it's like a minivan. And you walk in and there's no bus ticket, no bus fare, no nothing. When you get off he just goes you owe me this much <laughs> he kind of just it seems like he's calculating it out of thin air and so we get in the bus and he picks us up and then he goes to the next hotel the next hotel and then he heads towards the city and then he goes to an area of the city that's like like slummy i i would guess right and they have a big pond it's like in the middle of the city there's a big pond and there's a wire roped in the middle like a buoy line in the middle of the pond, okay? And I, I'm looking, we're stopped at the light, and I'm looking at the pond, and I look over, and it fucking blows my mind. So in this pond, on one side of the pond, the people are pissing into the pond, and I guess they're shitting or dumping their excrement into the water, and on the other side of the pond, they're using the water to do their laundry. Okay? Yeah, and each person is living in, it's not even like a shack. It was a space that was big enough for for somebody like you. You couldn't even fit into one of their homes. It was was just a two-by-two, like it was a square, and it had a hole dug in the square, and then they put a frame down, and then they put like the four pillars up, and they, they just put a covering on the top. And people are just laying in these like little, like huts like and they're like there's no fucking space between the huts how the fuck they're getting out of these huts i have no idea in the space fit for one american home there must have been like 400 people there it was fucking ridiculous and i looked at that and it just stunned me it hit me so fucking hard and then it made me question like everything Like I'm living, I'm staying in this beautiful hotel in the lap of luxury and I'm eating this fancy food. And then who knows where this fucking waiter lives? Who knows where the chef lives? Who knows what these people's lives are like? And so the rest of the trip, I was just fucking down. I was like, oh, like, what can I do? I can't do anything to help these people. I didn't bring enough cash to change anybody's life. And it was the first time for me to think about, like how lucky I am or how lucky I was relative to others. That that shit fucking blew my mind. <laughs> oh, shit. That's crazy. Ah, it was bad. It was bad. And then uh He was right, you probably shouldn't have went. Yeah, I definitely shouldn't have went. I definitely should have went. And then the next eye opening experience I had was when I came to Japan. But like that's like a whole different ball game. I felt like when I arrived in Japan, I had landed on a different planet. Like it was Every fucking thing was different from what I had expected. Like everything. And the first time coming here with no internet, no like IT information about what this country is all about, and no ability to research and check and know like where to go and what to do, I had, I was totally fucking clueless. I came blind on purpose because I wanted to learn by experience. And I'm not exaggerating. When I say to you, I felt like I was reborn when I landed here because. Every fucking thing was brand new. Everything. Everything. And I think that's part of the charm of why I find this place so interesting. It's because they think about things so differently from us. And so I fell in love with it because I learned a different way of life. And I was bored of the North American way of life. And I think that's why I stayed. But uh, yeah, I was just,
0: I have, I have never been obviously and I plan to come see you at some point. But the thing I find fascinating from not even going there is I watch a lot of like videos and TikToks online where people just go, I decided to get lost in Tokyo today Mm -hmm. and I ran into this and they find like, like the one person found this little cafe that had like, I don't know, like, little like guinea pigs in it and like you go and have a coffee and you like interact with like these guinea pigs and i'm like there's like thousands of unique and interesting experiences in japan like that i feel so it's interesting
1: that you mentioned about getting lost and finding something while you're lost their system for addresses is so fucking different from ours they don't have street names there's no street names and so and there's no like proper address so if you think about where you live now they break it off into blocks so they say you're let's say uh, let's uh, just make up some name you're like dip and then within inside dip then they make like a, a smaller subdivision like i don't know like the galleria and then inside the galleria they've broken it into 10 blocks so you're in block 10 of the galleria and then your house number one so it would be for example, uh, Depew Galleria 1-10, so that you're in the first block of the Galleria, you're the 10th house. And now how did they find the 10th house? it depends on the way the block is laid out. So in some instances, it could be the 10th house on the north position, something next <laughs> 10th on the south. Holy cow. The, yeah, it's a fucking shit show to find something. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's a total different way of thinking about addresses. And it comes from a village mindset because that's how villages are organized. And so they uh, just expanded from villages and they never adopted like a proper urban planning way to build a city. And so it's just it's unique, and so like it's it's easy to get lost here and not find stuff. But that in itself is you're right; it leads to the charm of finding something that you never know existed. Even with Google Maps, you can get lost and find stuff, even though you have a map in your hand. It's hard to find stuff here, but once you find it, you'll never forget. I had a great experience, or it was a wonderful experience, or this was something I never anticipated. And there's so much to do. Like the population in Tokyo is the entire the greater Tokyo area has the same population as the entire country of Canada. And it's a city. (laughs) And so can you imagine condensing the whole country into a single city? And then how many things happen here? Like in buildings, you'll have the first floor, second floor, third floor, fourth floor. They'll all be different businesses and they're all kind of unique things. Like I told you, Corquin's in the middle of a a building, right? It's right in the middle. And then above that, there's a hair salon. Below that, there's a Fridays. Then above that, even there's, I think there's like a massage parlor. Like there's all shit going on in the same building. And so like, you're just astonished by the things you learn new every day here. It's just, it's amazing. For anybody who's been here, I'm sure they'll say the same thing. Okay, so the reason why we're talking about our experiences of being somewhere for the first time is today's match features the first time Taz works in the Madison Square Garden in his hometown of New York City and Jim before we get into the match details and before we talk about any of like the big stuff like about what happened isn't it surprising how fucking over he was?
0: So over. Like, colossally over. Because we always thought of ECW as our thing, right? Yeah. We always thought of it as, like, us versus the world. Agreed. So for, like, and we knew it was going to be Taz, like, from the sheets and stuff. and But so did the crowd. And, like, to hear the the crowd chant Taz a little before he comes out. I thought was super interesting because now obviously they do it all the time but it wasn't as big of a thing back then we had no idea the impact that ecw actually had
1: it was one of the worst kept secrets in all of the yeah. wrestling <laughs> business at that time that he was coming in right like everybody i don't remember the circumstances behind this but i do remember there are rumors that he's leaving and the internet had just started and we had like a few web pages talking about stuff like this. But was he going to WCW? Was he going to WWE? That was kind of up in the air. And at the same time, Angle had this undefeated streak going on. So we kind of had a sense like it might be him, but it wasn't like, oh, we know he's coming in. And so once those- tats, And we certainly
0: weren't sure he was going to go over. That's true cause, too. Because Angle was just like- He was He on was fire. just starting out and he was, uh, he was on fire. Yeah.
1: You know what? I have to admit- Like, this debut, in retrospect, going back now, watching this debut, if I had not known what happened after this match, I would have said Taz is a five-time WWE champion. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Absolutely.
1: But he was fucking relegated to working Michael Cole. You know, (laughs) like, how (laughs) how the fuck do you go from, like, this big a match to, like, have your career go down the shitter so fucking fast you know like i know the reasons and we'll talk about it a little bit but it was just odd to me how they blew this opportunity they had a fucking diamond in their hand yeah absolutely and they didn't want to polish it yeah oh it was a shame okay so before we get into the match there's a couple of things i want to talk about this is the first time we've talked about howard finkel howard finkel the ring announcer he fucked up Red Hook from Brooklyn, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. yeah, he rarely fucks up. But he fucked that up. It was nice to hear his voice for nostalgia's sake. What are your thoughts on Howard Finkel?
0: Yeah, I think Howard Finkel's great. Like he just brings back the memories of when I was first starting watching wrestling. Because even when we used to have all the squash matches with superstars, he still announced every. He still announced quite a bit.
1: Agreed. Right. He announced almost all the time. I think he was a mainstay for years and years
0: and years and years.
1: And then he might have gotten sick, and then that's when other people started to come in. But like he still did the Madison Square Garden shows. They still had him do those, right? Yeah. And then uh, the announced team here. This is pri- I want to say prime Jerry the King Lawler and Jim Ross together on the commentary booth in the commentary booth. What do you think about their performance this week?
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's the full face, full heel, and I am a huge fan of that format. I don't like everybody middling. I don't mind somebody being pro somebody. And that, that's that that's their angle. Like they work that perfectly.
1: So, you know, this is a kind of strange thing for me. We are all on the same page in acknowledging that this is sports entertainment. So then why the fuck is a commentary recently trying to be sports commentary. I hate that shit. Yeah, it should be sports entertainment. Entertainment means you have a face commentator, you have a heel commentator. It should transform and be a little bit more modernized. It doesn't have to be as polarizing as this was or as sometimes the Jesse Ventura and the McMahon matches are, but it should still have that same core essence of, the commentator being on one side and the other commentator being on the other side. And this is a prime example of that. I it, I loved it. I thought it was excellent. You're right. You're right.
0: Yeah. So how come they don't do that today, Jim? What do you think? I think they're trying what you're... I think what you're saying is accurate, that they're trying to be more like this is entertainment. But, like, I'm far more entertained as a wrestling fan when somebody is pro-heel than I am, like... Again, I love Excalibur. I think he's the best in the business. But like, I don't mind if like Don Callis is with him and is like pro his guys or any of that. Like, I I want more of that. Although
1: I think Gordon Soley is a standalone guy for being like the best there ever was. I still think you know if I think about the best commentary for a single event or a single match in my life, I have to say it's got to be. The Royal Rumble where the Royal Rumble where Flair wins, where Heenan's like fucking hot about, you know, Flair winning and he's super over the top healing it up. And then Monsoon is like Poking at him and edging him and ribbing him that he's not going to win and he's like in a desperate situation and he's like more of a face guy. That interplay between them was out fucking standing, right? And I wish we had more of that. I just wish we had more of that. And it's and
0: it's great. And Heenan carries that the whole time. He's announcing flare matches, and I think it's awesome. Yeah, awesome. Agreed, totally awesome.
1: Okay, so the commentary team, not bad. Now let's get into the match. So before (laughs) before the match starts. Kurt Angle does mic work. He's still relatively new. He hasn't been in the game for a long time, but he's got an undefeated streak going on. It's been going on for a couple of months. He's beating guys pretty badly. He's a heel. And he gets on the mic, and he says some of the greatest stuff, and his confidence on the mic is so fucking good. And you know what? I looked at him, and I thought about this for a second. He might be on my Mount Rushmore of the greatest wrestlers ever and like I know he doesn't get that kind of credit he doesn't get that kind of validation but if you think about it this fucking guy's a heavyweight for his time he was doing moonsaults he could do suplexes he could chain wrestle he was good on the mic he was a good looking dude he had the right amount of mic skills when I put that package together it's hard to make an argument for him not being
0: amongst the best there ever was when he was at his peak, what would you say man i i I hadn't even thought about it, but I guess I have to agree because I always say half of it's mic work, right right like like you can't like if Lesnar doesn't have heyman, Lesnar never does anything, sure because he has because he has zero mic skills mm-hmm. and he just he just understands it like his charisma like when you get an Olympic guy like that, you usually get like and I'm not picking on him, but you get like Mark Henry. Sure. Like, like Mark Henry doesn't have good Mike skills. I mean, he's powerful and he's, he can be athletic. But like you don't get a guy like Angle. Like whoever decided to sign Angle is a fucking genius because he has everything. And even after he leaves WWE, like his TNA stuff is really good. Yeah, excellent. 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 Everything about
1: his career is outstanding. And, you know, it's unfortunate that he couldn't control his addiction to painkillers. And then he got into, I don't know if he really got into, but he had like family problems, Yeah, you know, like stuff like, like that kind of stuff. Like it's unfortunate that shit happened to him. Right. And I don't know the details of it. And I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in.
0: Like yeah the, I don't want to either yeah
1: I'm not interested in that kind of stuff but like it it's kind of like a mark on his career like a stain you know what I mean like when you think about him you think about his ex-wife marrying like his rival <laughs> during their angle <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah you know like it's just not comfortable stuff right and so it's a shame that he's like surrounded with that and the drug addiction to like painkillers and but Other than that, like his work rate, like I think. His
0: work is amazing. Holy
1: shit. You know, I think he might be the only guy in the WWF roster, including Shawn Michaels. I think he's the only guy who could have run with Kobashi and Misawa in them. The only guy. Agreed. I don't think Michaels could have done it. I don't think his body is built to take those kinds of bumps. No. And so, yeah, Angle, out fucking standing. And then he gets on the mic. And he says, I'm going to be your champion because if we wait for Patrick Ewing and the Knicks to win, you're never going to have a championship. It's now 2023. They still don't have a championship. Still waiting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that was great,
1: great stuff. I thought it was outstanding. And then he challenges, issues an open challenge. The worst kept secret, Taz's music plays. And here comes Taz. And the crowd is so fucking livid losing their mind and you can see it like taz himself is like too hyped so when he gets in the ring and he he enters and they engage with each other there's a early spot where he's supposed to do a, a back body drop to angle over the top and he just fucking launches angle because he's so <laughs> yeah. like in like pumped up and it's just it's almost careless and dangerous right but it shows like He's here to win, and he's serious. I love the beginning of the match. And then after that, Angle takes over, throws a bunch of suplexes on Taz, does a suplex on the outside, brings him inside, does a bunch of suplexes on the inside to showcase just how good he is. It's kind of strange, right? You have Taz, who's a human suplex machine, and the first exposure you have is him being suplexed by somebody else, although it is Kurt Angle, who's Olympic Gold medalist, but
0: he's probably the only guy that can get away with it, right?
1: Right, that's right. So, like, I, you know, in retrospect, was it right to have him debut with Kurt Angle and then not smash Kurt Angle, but just get the win and get out of there with a hyped crowd? Or would it have been better to put him in there with like a Barry Horowitz and have him just fucking kill a Barry Horowitz? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know in retrospect what was better, but what do you think? How would you have debuted this guy?
0: I think it gives them instant credibility because of the winning streak. Like I think, I think they invested a lot in Taz for it not to pan out or for them to change direction. Like they really had something here, and like we'll get in, we'll get into the ending later. But like the way they did the endings, like a like they put this, like they put this guy over at like a Jericho level,
1: yeah. No doubt, no doubt. Of all the ECW guys who debuted in the WWF, this is the best debut ever. And you know what? When I think about a match, not a debut, but just a debut match, I'm hard-pressed to find a better debut match than this for anybody ever, ever. Agreed. It's so fucking good. It's so great. So Okay, so getting back to the ring action, Angle throws him around a bit, and then Taz takes over when Angle goes to the top. He tries to catch Taz with I don't know what he's trying to do. He's just going to the top. Taz knocks him off the top rope. He does a fucking T-bone suplex off the top fucking rope. <laughs> yeah. Like, holy shit! What the fuck am I? Want? The crowd is losing their mind because nobody's seen Angle thrown around like that. You know, like no. Yeah. And so he throws him around. He does a bunch of other suplexes, and then there's a spot right after throwing Angle over the top where Taz said his push is destroyed. And what it was, was he has Angle belly to back, and he goes to throw him over, and Angle jumps, and Taz didn't have the timing right. So he puts Angle down, and then he goes again, and he throws him on the second time. And apparently, Taz has said it before, and others have said it before, that when he was doing his match, McMahon saw Angle jump, and then Taz pulled him down and then do it a second time, and then McMahon said, oh, he's dangerous," and he's like, "That was the moment where my career was fucked <laughs> in retrospect, he protected angle, he didn't go to protect the guy, and then you fucking think that he's dangerous, which is a fucking weird way to interpret that It's the polar
0: opposite of what actually happened
1: right, exactly, and it's unfortunate for the guy. it's just one instance where You know, the pressure's on you. You're trying to show everybody what you're made of. And you're just, like, so hyped that you're, like, you know, you're just in super fast mode. And it's, like, turbo mode for, like, Street Fighter. And you you don't want to hurt the guy. So you pull back a little bit. But it shows that you're not working at full speed. And then, unfortunately, the impression is awful. And so that's basically what happened to the guy. It's a shame, right?
0: It's a shame that one thing... Cause it could have easily been forgotten. Like those things have happened before and they just brush over them and move on. But for some reason it just stuck with McMahon.
1: Yeah. I guess first of all, it's like it's ECW and it's this like indie organization and they're known for violence. And then we're bringing in their most famous guy and McMahon's probably not familiar with the product. He just knows the name. And then he sees this move and he's like, Oh, that's dangerous. You know what I mean? I get that. That's over. It's over. And so it's unfortunate in today's world. That would be a pass. Everybody would say, it's okay. Oh, yeah. And so it's unfortunate. So then, yes, from there, he does a couple of great suplexes, a couple of suplexes we've never seen, even in ECW. He brought some new stuff out, and then he catches angle after three suplexes in a row, ties him up in a choke. And this is where the commentary is genius. They're arguing, is he putting him in a sleeper? or is he choking him out because a choke is illegal and their like back and forth banter between the two of them makes you wonder is this a legal move is this an illegal move is it dangerous is it should it not be allowed and then once it's over angle needs to be carried out on a stretcher and he sells it like a motherfucker and you're left fucking with,
0: amazing oh
1: and you're left with this impression that this finishing move is fucking dangerous now that I've got lots of fighting experience and I think the world is more attuned to what MMA is, you realize not only is it not a choke, he's hugging him from behind, like he's making love to him. You know, like there's no...
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing going on here. Mako should use this move. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: It's perfect for him. But there's like no danger whatsoever. But at the time, we don't know. We're just not aware. And it's very impressive. Very, very impressive. Wonderful finish, wonderful sell job, wonderful commentary, wonderful way to get Taz over. And then his career goes down the toilet right after this.
0: It's awful. Like a bottle rocket. Like it just goes up and then just right down.
1: Yeah. You know, and of all the ECW guys they could have used and should have used to be over, I would argue Taz is probably the guy that they dropped the ball with most. They picked it up with RVD as they should have, but reluctantly. They didn't want to. But they, and they did. did a
0: good job with the Dudleys.
1: Yeah, the Dudleys too. I think the Dudleys are an undeniable talent. That's a problem. You can't avoid giving them the tag titles as often as you did. They're just too good at what they do. It had nothing to do with them being ECW talent, you know what I mean? Like you Correct. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but like But I
0: feel the same way about RVD like He's a spot machine, but like he's an undeni his look and everything is undeniable.
1: Yeah, I think he's a breakthrough talent. I think Sabu was already too broken up and too careless and too reckless for this style of TV. You know, it just yeah, and it just yeah, he wasn't the right guy. And there's no other like Tommy Dreamer, the Sandman, the whoever else you Mikey Whipper you can mention on that roster. I don't think there's a guy. Out of them that could get over in this environment that they missed the ball on. But I think they missed the ball on Taz. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I think they did. I think you could have done a lot with him. Like you could have eventually like, teamed him with angle, right? Like you could have. Mm. There's a lot of things you could have done, but because and is is the hardcore the hardcore belt a thing at this time, too, right? I believe so, right? That's perfect like I, for I him. think that oh. it's perfect for him and you know, but it's relegated kind of as a lame title.
1: Agreed. And so the coolest thing he actually does in his WWE run or WWF run is he goes back and he wins the ECW title. And that yeah, that's on, amazing. That fucking scene was out fucking standing, right? Like that was great. That was the best way they could have used him. But then when they brought him back to the WWF after that. He's just fucking useless again. (laughs) Like, what? Yeah. What the fuck? Why did you do that? So, I don't understand why they didn't use him properly after that as well. So, he had a second chance. And even after his second chance, they didn't, they just didn't use him right. So, a great, great debut match. Probably the best debut match we've ever seen, but it ends up going nowhere, unfortunately. What do you think of him after this is all over? He ends up in the, the booth and he does mic work. He's a commentator. A you know, commentator, what do you think about his commentary work?
0: I think his commentary work is solid, like I think, and McMahon tells him that he thinks he'll be a good commentator, and he wasn't all he wasn't about it at all, and then he kind of embraced it, and I think he's really good because I think he's knowledgeable because I think he he understands the business he always has, and he understands what he needs to say and what he needs to not say. Like when he was a heel in AEW, I thought he was good. Now he's just sort of neutral because they all do that neutral thing. Right. But like, yeah, I think he's, I think he still has a great amount of worth for the business. Sure.
1: I, yeah, of all the guys we've talked about in the booth who are former wrestlers, I would say, other than Jesse, other than Jesse Ventura, who's like a big star, like a big star, I would have to say Taz might be the second best guy ever, right? If I'm thinking about big stars, like Excalibur worked, but yeah. he, he wasn't yeah, Excalibur, a big star. Yeah, he yeah. was
0: PWG. Uh, yeah, like he I understand. A big what star. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I would say he's probably second. I mean, I mean, well, I don't know. Like, who's your one Lawler? Yeah,
1: no, I would say probably number one is Jesse, then number two is uh, Heenan, because, but Heenan wrestled way, way before we were alive. So yeah, like we, don't we have have never that, see Heenan. Yeah, so we don't have that impression of him as a wrestler, but uh, for me, one, two is got to be Jesse and Heenan, and then number three, and then the next guy is going to be maybe Taz, and then Lawler. Or Lawler and then Taz, like around, I would put him around there. You know, they guys, there are lots and lots of commentary guys better than these guys, lots. But as a former for sure. talented worker, I would have to say he's amongst the best. He's top
0: five for sure. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Agreed.
1: All right. So this week, if you have a chance, you can go on to YouTube. You can find this match. It's available in its entirety on the YouTube channel run by the WWF. It's a rare find because this match is one of the few matches where they allow comments. They usually block the comments. And if you go and read the comments, you'll see almost all the comments are exactly what we mentioned today.
0: <laughs> so, are they? <laughs>
1: yeah, it's like, well, this is the greatest match. It has WWE career. Or, you know, uh, from here, it's all downhill. Or, like, you know, it's what a missed opportunity. Or what a great uh, intro. Stuff like that. And It's, it's a, I think, t- t- everybody echoes the same sentiment. That you know, you had something gold here and you just fucking let it go. Unfortunately. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SixManPodcast. You can tag in
0: with a DM. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to write to us at sixmanpodcast at gmail.com. For now, it's time to tag out. What
1: He's using hypnosis!